yeah, the incarnation is real, y'all. It is powerful. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave, uh, the pinball wizard, Van Vickle. That's funny. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. I literally woke up 30 minutes ago. <laughs> did you really? I wow, did. you look beautiful. good for, you did good. You look good for waking up 30 minutes ago. Well, we had to do the trash, so I didn't just wake up. I woke up with tons of adrenaline because we had a lot of oh. trash to get out today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, so the last two weeks, this is funny. Well, I don't know what it is about my family, but we have an abnormal amount of garbage. We create an abnormal <laughs> amount of garbage. I'm serious. It's embarrassing. Like everyone else in my neighborhood has two giant trash cans, one for recycling, one for garbage. I have three for garbage, one, two for recycling, and then I usually have lines of bags next to them. Okay. It's very embarrassing. And I don't know. I've, I've thought about it. I've tried to ponder this in the wee hours of the night, uh-huh. and I can't figure it out. But anyways, the last two weeks... You know, my, I mean, my mind is just gone, like completely gone. And I have woken up at like 3.45 and 4. And they come sometimes that early, our garbage people. Oh, dear Lord. And have been like, oh, my gosh, the garbage. So I'm like putting on, you know, a shirt and running outside, like, you know, in shorts and a T-shirt, like bringing the garbage out, cursing at the snow as I step <laughs> in it and get so cold. <laughs> gross. Snow yeah. is so gross. What's wrong with you? Oh What's my wrong gosh. with all Don't, of you living in the Northeast? I, I agree. Because, I mean, someone invented something called an air conditioner, and the North has become irrelevant now. <laughs> I mean, you can live in places like Texas. I, I I, hate snow. I really do. It's awful. It is. It is. My wife literally said, I'll visit it, but I will never live in snow again. Yeah, I know. I know. I and she was St. Louis. It's not like they had tons of snow. Like, come on. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, you got any uh, special plans for Christmas? This is like a Christmas episode. You got any special plans? Well, I mean, not really. I mean, our governor's like a tyrant, so we're not even supposed to get together with family. But um, <laughs> you're not even allowed to love your kids. Uh, yeah. Christmas. Right. Sorry, kids. Right. Uh, Call for firm, everyone. <laughs> one firm handshake is what they're allowed, according to our governor. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no. So we have we don't really have many plans. Uh, it's going to be quiet and restful. I'm hoping. And uh, you get a you bunch know, of kids uh, in a small enclosed space with nowhere to go. It's never <laughs> restful. <laughs> I'm discovering yeah. that here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. But no, I, I think um, I, I, we we might have some some family over, but not too many. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be just just us, basically. So, yeah, nice. pretty uneventful. I, I like holidays like that. Like I like to keep yeah. our vacations separate from holidays. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I and mean, we've never done that. All of our vacations have been holidays okay. until right now. This is the first year okay. uh, that we haven't, and it is so nice. It is yeah. so nice to not think I have to rush, right? drive 14 hours, get everything. You know, it's just, it's a totally different experience. Right. And it's also cool because, you know, my parents live here, so it's easy for us to pop over to their house for an evening, Christmas, whatever. Okay. But uh, beforehand, you know, you're trying to manage mass, you're trying to manage right. travel right. and all that. Right. This is so wonderful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, well, so what are you guys doing? Well, we uh, 
my actually my in-laws with this usually either thanksgiving or christmas we go up to see my in-laws but um a couple of people are immune immune compromised uh up there and so it was a little risky for thanksgiving so we didn't go then and then and shannon we had just made the decision not to go um now and it's weird but it's good so uh the cardinal gave authorization for a 2 p.m mass so yeah we, have we got that too our, we have that too yeah so we have mass at 2 p.m and I'm, of course, I'm going to work it as an employee. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? What do you seating mean? Seating people, making. Are sure. you kidding me? Yeah, no. There's no way around it. No, no way around it. Oh, I, I, I said to myself when I realized, oh, this is funny. So I start to put it. This is how crazy my life has been since April first. I put in all the dates, uh, all the times off that I'm requesting for the end of December, and it's pretty much the. It's almost the whole rest of this month. Then I start writing it all in, and I add up all the time, and I'm like, oh my goodness. This is 60 hours I'm requesting off limit. So I fire up my my browser. I go into my time thing, ADP, yeah. and I fire up my thing. And I'm like, oh, I have 124 hours of vacation yeah. time left. Yeah. I never leave this job. Yeah. So, so I took the ne- that week off as well. I, I was doing it on Wednesday, and I took Thursday and Friday off as well. Wow. So, so I, um, wow. Yeah. So I've been off, but I re- I had a I have a um, RCIA interview that can only happen today. So I'm all suited up in my monkey suit getting ready to go to work like a, I, like a peasant so i didn't even think about that whole aspect of employees having to work have i ever told you about this the one christmas eve that i did have to work did i ever tell you about this uh-uh. that my wife told me i ruined christmas <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you know like i unlike our wonderful listeners i'm like an, a very unfinished christian and it i mean it's not hard to get me to like want to fight you okay so like i mean it's like you can if you touch the right buttons then if someone knows what they're doing then they can so our deacon at one of the parishes ordered four thousand books to be passed out during christmas masses and um and then said were they all matthew kelly books yeah of course they were yeah and then said um basically just sent me an email saying dave the four thousand books arrive you need to figure out a pipeline to get them passed out at masses and i was like what and i was like super angry okay so i was not happy already it was really making me mad it was stressing me out and my priest was like don't worry just just all you got to do is meet with the ushers before mass and have the ushers pass them out okay well that was my first experience of ushers right and your parish probably has amazing ushers like that are trained and like are from corporate America and normally emotionally and socially mature people. But for the rest of the parishes of the United States, ushers are insane. So, um, so at least as a group. Okay. So I met with these guys who I'd never met before in my life before mass. And one of them was like, wait, you want us to stand here and hand out books? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not. He's like, good luck with that. I'm not doing that. And he just walked away and I go, Hey, hold, hold on, hold on a second. And he's like, uh, he's like, no, I'm not handing out books. People are trying to get home to their families. I'm not handing them out. And he's like getting more aggressive in his tone, you know? And, (laughs) and he comes back, you know, and I'm like, look, man, it's just like, there's tables here. All you gotta do is stand next to the table and say, here, take a book. It's, it's really not a big deal. Even though I was thinking in my head, this is a big deal. It's making me angry that they did this. Right. And he's like, look, man, this was a terrible idea. You want them to do it. You do it yourself. And he just started walking away. And I like just kind of went into rage mode and grabbed his <laughs> collar. 
And I pulled him. Yeah. And and, and he That's looked awesome. and then all of a sudden I was like, and Amber like grabbed me and she was like, calm down. And I was like, okay, okay. She was like, I can't believe you almost punched an usher on Christmas. It was so awful. My pastor <laughs> had to get involved in everything. It was all I could think on Christmas, I was getting fired from my job for sure and everything. But Oh, Dave, yeah. your world is not my world. I love it. I love it. I've dreamed of punching an usher, but I've never <laughs> done it. <laughs> we all have, sir. We all have. We we all have. That's no, so honestly, funny. though, the those ushers were my uh, the ushers at my parish were amazing, like most mm-hmm. parishes, obviously. But yeah. um, it turned out that this guy only ushered on Christmas so he could save seats for his family. Oh, yeah. So I should have punched him. Do, <laughs> doing a full doing a full loop back uh one of the bonuses if you attend mass and help out as an employee you get your spots reserved oh, that's nice so that you can help out right so that's i mean because nice. we got to do sanitizing this yeah. is a thing that i don't think people understand i don't the the amount of work that goes in so that people can go to mass is uh is kind of incredible and for people, so we we have a a group a group of people who are so angry all the time, and it, they're all on this one Facebook group, and they just feed on each other's rage, and they don't bother asking anyone who you know is in right. charge of anything, right. even though we're all friends and we all know each other. And I'm like, do you, so you want every single employee to work? It would take six employees to do what you want uh, on every. Oh, one they're of the mad that you're not doing masks. enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so, funny. Oh, so. that is funny. It's it's just exhausting. But uh, I said two months ago, I know, I know, even if I take the whole month of December off, I know I'm going to end up working on Christmas because I'm here. <laughs> and then sure enough, here it is. Because you're in town. Uh, yeah. 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 But it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Now, here's one thing that I I love to leverage feast days to make them. There's a big trend. Let me put it this way. In Catholic um, stuff. Right in Catholic companies, Catholic um, bloggers, Catholic whatever, to really revitalize the liturgical year, right? Um, living the liturgical year, living the liturgical seasons. There's a lot of great books on it. I think living the liturgical year is one of them. Um, there's there's so much that is there to try to evangelize your family through the liturgy by connecting it to home life, right? The domestic yeah. church type stuff. Yeah. Um, and we have a question that we're going to kind of get into in a little bit, but um, the do you use Christmas traditions? Like, do you double down on some of that stuff in order to evangelize your kiddos? Yeah, I mean, the manger is the big thing for us. You know, it all revolves around that. We spend a lot of time talking about it, looking at it. You know, going through the story. You know, I have uh, we have a relic of the manger, a piece of the manger, and we of course you put do. that course put you. that up, and you know, do the blessings and everything, and you know stuff like that so it's just i don't know it's yeah we do we try yeah as much as i think you're supposed to try <laughs> do you do an advent wreath or anything like that so uh, i'm such a failure why did you even ask me that now now everyone's gonna think i'm terrible so normally we would yeah but, but this... they started the, with that with the grabbing the guy by the collar on christmas <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah so that i so we didn't do it this year but normally we would, yeah. We, the, the worst part about it is that we didn't do the Advent wreath this year, but we did do an Advent calendar filled with candy. So it's like we, <laughs> of course, doubled down on the secular there. But Yeah, and I love how Advent calendars are not actually the season of Advent. It's just a countdown to Christmas, yeah, to Christmas. if you actually look right. at it. Right. Yeah, it's not four weeks. It has nothing to do with that. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, for us, my wife came up. So three years ago, we decided to do this thing 
because of the uh sometimes the catholic companies can like over market <laughs> right There's one in particular with book giveaways that drives me insane <laughs> and so we decided that we wanted to do our own so we came up with a journey through advent for our parish oh cool and um we did this journey through advent for our parish and i wrote some prayers for the sundays to do at home as a family i think it was two maybe three years ago and that became like so standard for my family like each week we pray for a different group of people that they would come to know the Lord. And my wife has these strips of paper that's the hay for the manger. And we have a manger set up oh, in the middle cool. of our table advent wreath. So we have an advent wreath. We have a little manger. And then the strips of paper are the straw so that Christ can lay on the straw of our good works for his glory kind of thing. So we, I love this. I love <laughs> Isn't it. that awesome? Yeah. That's all Shannon. So uh, I had the prayers written. And we've been doing that for the last three years. Well, this year... We decided, Shannon did this thing called Ready the Major for our parish, and it was that for the parish. So she had to write out a little reflection every week, and these are the good works, and now like the hay is piling up in the outdoor manger. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to see it. Um, but when, for our kids, the one thing I wanted to do more than anything else this year was to double down on the importance of the reef and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So we okay. sing, we turn off all the lights. And I come in with a lighter and I light the candles at, while we sing that uh, that song. And then we do a Jesse tree that my wife got. Okay. It's a deck of cards. Yeah. And it has the scripture verses, but it walks you right through salvation history. Cool. And so there's like a symbol, you know, there's a symbol of like um, wheat bending. Yeah. It's, you know, like a little cartoon image, right, of a wheat bending. And it's the story of uh, Joshua to his brother or Joseph to his brothers in Egypt and right. you know they have like really creative symbols so we did that every week my wife is doing actually the Ascension Press Advent reflection and uh I think my Catching Foxes listeners about two-thirds of my rereading every year now it's a tradition Pope Benedict's yeah. infancy narrative so oh, I started man. doing that so too. good so yeah. good yeah so yeah. so that's this is interesting so um you know, like I find I, I, I don't know. I feel like in the whole debate, like what's the greater mystery, the the incarnation or the or the the passion, death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. Right. I, I really I mean, I tend towards the, the the incarnation, you know, in a sense that like I just can't I can't get enough of the reflections. I can't get enough yep. of the theology. I can't get enough of it. I am I'm amazed. I'm still completely and utterly shocked that the like the unmoved mover the uncaused cause the god of the universe took flesh in the way that he did right like not like just walking as a man on earth yeah. right that he took flesh and and so i love i love advent you know because it just the reflection it's such a it's a treasure trove you know it's a treasure yeah. trove of, of grace it really is and i think one of the things that helped me embrace it even more this year to, in a different way maybe not even more but um is my reading of the classics that i've been doing the last 6 months cool it has like it has given me a keener sense of piety and religion and paganism and judaism and all of that stuff within that context uh i just finished plato's republic and um you know the, there was a charge when plato first wrote the republic the criticism in Athens was it's Moses speaking Attic. Right. And Attic is the type of Greek at, at Plato's time. 
And I thought I was like, what? What the? Why would they say that? Like justice, blah blah blah. But I had only read excerpts of it. And whenever you read excerpts of the the Republic in philosophy class, it's almost always just the political stuff, like um, you know, I would f- the philosopher king stuff, and how you would raise children by taking them away from their biological parents or whatever it is. You always read kind of like the weird, sensational stuff. But book two is all about getting rid of the of the Greek pagan poets because they lie about gods and we need to understand that the god is the source of all goodness not sin not evil and i'm just listening that and i was like yeah wow i've never read these parts in my excerpts yeah but holy moly this is powerful so and uh yeah it just gives you a good frame of reference for what people were thinking about god and the incarnation you know that's that's it's so funny you know you're you're bringing up so i used to get made fun of a lot in high school because my like my my friends would be like on Fridays, like what what do you like? We're going to a party tonight. What are you going to do? And I'd be like, ah, I think I'm going to read Plato, maybe some of the Psalms, listen to classical music, like that. And I'd be like so excited. <laughs> and even my mom sometimes would be like, are, are, yeah, are you going to go out or anything like that? You know. But like <laughs> Plato is is another treasure trove of yeah of grace. It really is. You know, like uh, you, you can you can draw a lot out of there if you're looking. Uh, like yeah, I mean, imagine being a pagan in the Greco-Roman Empire and reading the Republic as right. a newly converted Christian. Right, you would think that Plato. Oh my gosh, is was a, Christian, a right? proto-Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah. And that's why so many of the church fathers were Platonists because they were like, look at all the stuff he says in yeah. the midst of paganism. Go, you, you know, know what? I, you know, what I think though too about reading the the Greek and Roman literature is what? how pious some and. And, and virtuous some of those men are and you think oh my gosh like they didn't even believe like they were yeah. they were pantheist or they were you know polytheists polytheists you know it's like yeah. boy that's amazing yeah yeah it truly is it truly truly is the most pious of all the writers apparently was um virgil yeah. which is why dante used him right a noble pagan why dante used him to walk him through hell and purgatory right i think it was also the purgatory but the experience of reading him i i didn't like virgil nearly as much as as uh homer but as i'm going through again this is to go to the mindset of the people at the time of the birth of christ because uh, virgil is writing essentially to create a mythological structure for caesar augustus and his reign right right Right. And so he's like he talks about the prophet like the so for them, you know, Augustus line is through the Trojans that escaped the fall of Troy, you know, and all this shenanigans, which is so funny. But it follows the story of Aeneas and his founding of Rome. Uh, but the whole aspect of it that I found so fascinating with it is like this is the guy he has his whole empire. It's now the Pax Romanum, right? The world peace brought about through the domination of Rome. Christ is born, right? The real Prince of Peace is born. And here is this poet, this world, the greatest poet in the Roman culture, writing, constructing this huge epic to uplift this one man, this one mortal man. And on the other side of the Mediterranean, the Son of God is entering the world. actually born. Yeah. And the juxtaposition of those two things, right? It's so fast. It's like it's why you find out how fascinating when Jesus says, "Give me a coin, you know, whose, whose image is on it, Caesar's." Right. Give to Caesar, what is Caesar? Well, on the other side of the coin, it said Augustus Caesar, the son of God, right? And he's <laughs> to see all this stuff. It's like when you find out Barabbas 
when they release Barabbas, it means son of the father. And yeah. you're like, ah, like this is what's happening. Yeah. All over there are counterfeit Christs at a fever pitch when the true Messiah comes. It's it's so fascinating. And that me. never ends. That never ends. And it never ends. Right. There it never ends. Yeah, the incarnation is real, y'all. We should it is powerful. We should talk about evangelization. We should. We should. We well, that's how I evangelize my family, right? Is by singing to them my sweet, sweet, oh, come, oh, come. I told uh, the guy that's in charge of our choir, wonderful man named uh, Josh Blakesley. I told him, uh, I go, hey, Josh, I'm just going to lay this down for you. He's like, what? I said, for Advent, if the opening song is not O Come, O Come, Emmanuel at every Sunday Mass, I'm through with you. I'm through with you and your whole your stupid haircut and your dumb face. I'm done. And he started laughing. He goes, "Oh, I'm doubling down on Okamokama Emmanuel." I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "I rewrote all the mass parts to the tune of Okamokama Emmanuel." So when we sing Alleluia, it's when we always, do anything, yeah. it's all. <laughs> and Is I was it, like, "Okay, okay." I finally feel like I'm getting enough dose of Okamokama Emmanuel. All, all you listeners out there, are you thinking what I'm thinking that? Yes, that parish has Gomer and Josh Blakesley on staff paid full time. It's it's really not fair. I know, I know. I hear uh I hear Father Mike Schmitz is gonna be the pastor soon. It's uh <laughs> Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? That would no be work so- would ever get done. We would just talk and talk. All right. And we would do third party stuff with Ascension Press. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a, an email that I know for me, and I and I'm going to speak for Gomer here. That like when we read it, it just like a little bit of my heart tore because I totally yeah. feel what Jennifer is talking about here. And so let me just jump into it. Uh, Jen, Jennifer writes, uh, here's a question I've been struggling with for a while. I'm not even sure if it's an answerable question or something. I just need to have acknowledged out in the universe, which I totally get. Uh, I currently work three different part-time ministries as a parish DRE, college campus minister, and as a diocesan assistant. But we all know that part-time church work is the largest oxymoron in the world. (laughs) I'm constantly trying to make everything fit into the hours I'm given. In addition, I'm trying to build up and foster our own domestic church. Literally, baby number three due in June. Congratulations. Awesome. I struggle with being able to truly focus and give each community what they need to flourish and worry that I'm doing more harm than good. Helping people get to heaven is not an easy or light task, and sometimes the gravity weighs very heavily. How do I focus on what needs to be done, slash said, and keep the main thing the main thing while my head continues to spin from constant gear switching? Again, thank you so much for all that you do and say, and I hope that you have a blessed Advent and Christmas season. Yeah. I feel for you, Jen. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, Gomer. Let's hear your, your initial thoughts. Okay. So when I first read this, I read it through the lens of the fact that I'm a director of evangelization at a parish and I have employees that I am responsible to. Um, and my first thought was uh, immediately is one, if not two of these part-time ministries needs to be eliminated as soon as possible now there might be um we don't know everything right Um, right we don't know that she has to do all three to make ends meet or something like that but um if i were you on on just a purely employer employee type thing one of these has to go because you're right you can't do all the things part-time church work is an oxymoron acknowledging the reality that a 10 hour a week job is actually a 20 hour a week job when it comes to church work then you have to say, okay, I work three 20, hour, 20 hours a week. I have a family. 
something does have to give. And I think you need to be very, very intelligent, very, very strategic, and very, very uh, brutally honest with yourself as to which one of those three needs to go the soonest. Because uh, I don't, I don't think it's sustainable to your mental and spiritual health. Because what ends up happening is you not only do you get burned out, but you get bitter and you resent the church, you resent the people in it. It becomes very easy. I know this because I have been there. Yep, I have absolutely been there. Yep, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I, so I'm I'm in your school. I think that I would pick the job that I feel like I have the most effect in, and try to figure out a way to make it work so that that's my one job now. Now, you're probably saying to us right now, like, you idiots, I told you uh, these are the jobs that I have to have. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. There's no change about it. Maybe you're at a rural parish or you're something like that. Um, and so I, I I feel for you. But what I would say is this, that um, I, I did spend the first several years of my life literally sometimes waking up in the middle of the night worrying about my parishioners, you know, worrying yeah. about them. Same. And, Same. and I think that, like, like it's a good sentiment and we all have it. And and anyone who works in church work, when you first, especially if you're like Omer and I and you leave Franciscan University and you go out and you're kind of in the real world at one point, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is so different than what I expected, right? Um, that you worry and you worry about this. Preaching the gospel, it's it's kind of there's a there's a weight, you know. And I think that what you should do is excuse yourself from that worry. Like, I, I definitely think you have to, like, say, like, whoa, hold on a second. The primary agent of evangelization is the Holy Spirit. I'm called to faithfulness, not success. I'm going to I'm going to set that aside, that worry aside, because I it, it will destroy you. Um, the other thing I would say is if it's a financial strain, I totally understand that um, there was definitely a long time in my life where I would go to my job as a DRE. Uh, then I would give a talk at another parish for a little bit of money at night. And then after that talk, I would rush to my job at a bar where I would work security until three in the morning. I mean, so I, I totally get what you're doing. Now, what happened for me is that I I was able to get good enough at one job that I was able to kind of build some career capital. And I think that that's what you probably want to try to do here if you if you're feeling now, I know the, the heart of the question is not the practical stuff. It's not the money. The heart of the question is how do we switch gears here? How do we do this? How do we uh, keep the main thing, the main thing? And luckily I think at least for your parish DRE and college campus minister job, it would be very easy for you to keep those two and keep your focus centered on evangelization, right? You're just switching ages at that point, right? Uh, uh, it, it, depending on it. Now, the diocesan assistant is going to be different, and it's going to be very detail-oriented, probably very taxing. But as far as the DRE and the college campus minister, I would pick literally a f three focuses for each of those jobs and, and do nothing else, and I would be militant towards those who report to me and those who I report to about, I'm sorry, but these have to be my three focuses and 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 really just double down on those. But again, if you can do what Gomer said, you need to do it. You need to do it. Yeah. The One of the things that I found in working multiple jobs at a parish is you can do a lot of jobs really well temporarily. Yep. But in the long term, they all will suffer or some will 
suffer more and while the other one is elevated up and it's usually the thing you love or it's the thing that's easiest for you to do within your life schedule whatever and so you know right now i'm in charge of youth ministry i'm in charge of uh i'm on the leadership team i'm in charge of faith formation you know you have all of these different hats that i wear that i wasn't wearing a year ago you know all of marriage annulments convalidations all of these different things you have these things and they become very frustrating when because they're all going in different directions so i have to go throw a time in this direction then in this direction then in this direction and honestly my biggest effort my biggest focus was to make sure confirmation got off the ground everything else took a backseat to that including having to cancel uh an event for our older kids that you know it broke my heart but i don't have the people i don't have the manpower and i didn't recruit all this stuff and it's like okay well something has to give here in this scenario and it, and it has to be that and some people are going to be upset and some people are going to be angry well you go take your complaints to father and say we need a part-time another person in this position or, or whatever it is but something will break that's the that's the hard part of, of sitting here now i'm going to tell you this uh dave recommended or he said uh career capital comes from a book um so good they can't ignore you by cal newport a podcast we both love uh but uh, there's another book called, oh, what, wow, son of a gun. I'm going to, When Work and Family Collide, I think, by Andy Stanley. When Work and Family Collide. I think that's the title. And he, he uses it like many men and women cheat on their spouses with their work. So cheat on your work with your spouse. <laughs> that's like the way he kind of pithily describes it. But he goes through and he says like, okay, the, you're, in Catholic terms, your vocation is your domestic church. Right. That's your vocation. Right. The way you serve the Lord in apostolates and all that stuff, that comes second. Because as we all know, Dom Chatard in um Soul of the Apostolate and and other um and other speakers and writers, they talk about how unless you grow your personal relation with God and that overflows into your vocation, which overflows into your apostolate as like concentric circles going outward, if it goes inward, your work and your apostolate will collapse your personal vocation, will collapse your personal time with the lord and if you aren't vigilant that's probably already happening you know kind of kind of taking this and so i want to encourage you especially this christmas end of the year start looking to the future look at these three things and start saying okay like if my primary vocation is my marriage i need a job to sustain my marriage and my family we're not saying that i met way too many millennials who say like but it's my primary vocation and then they don't do their job and i'm like no 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 that's not what i'm saying but we have to make it work we have to make it work for my family i work two jobs sometimes three right now i'm working i'm back to two i'm not traveling and speaking but I do that because my wife wants to be a stay-at-home mom and to homeschool the kids, but that takes a very specific thing. Now I'm home all the time, so I'm doubling down on the podcast so that we can keep this crazy thing going. Um, but it's just it's just the reality. The main thing is your vocation, not your apostolate, and your apostolate wants to eat your uh, your vocation. Yeah. So let me present one thing we haven't brought up yet, Jennifer. And you might be like spinning right now. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Let me just present one thing that might be a little bit of, of, of actually, let's say near-term help here. Okay. Let's say you're in a position where you're like, I can't give up any of these. I desperately need the income, yeah. which I, which we understand. We've been there. There's no question. Um, here's what I think you should do. I think you should focus on volunteers. 
I think you should yep. find some amazing people who you will focus on that will that that are super responsible and can take a lot of things off your plate and and then do the plan that Gomer just mentioned, right? Look at everything and and evaluate what you need to do to make sure that you're doing the right thing for your family and for your own faith and all that kind of stuff. In the meantime, get some really awesome volunteers. I've done this before uh, where I've had volunteers that were literally like full-time employees and and it 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 does work and it helps. So I would I and and then you focus your focus is just on on your volunteers. And and the way you can do that is you can literally have them once a week in your office all together. I mean, we used to do this a lot. Uh, all my direct reports and all my my main volunteers, we would call it the war room, right? We come one come together once a week and we would go over everything. And uh, you know, we had a whiteboard. And that can really help things because, you you know, I, I get what you're saying. And and if you are in a position where practically you just can't give something up, focus on some volunteers. Yeah. And I would come alongside that. And yes, 100 percent. That's the power. And there are probably someone in your ministry who's deeply affected by your ministry that wants to contribute. Right. Yep, Everyone absolutely. wants to belong. But everyone also wants to contribute. They just don't know how. And oftentimes, we people who tend to do it all and just say, oh, I'll do it. Oh, I'll do it. We tend to not make room for those people. Um, another leadership principle from Andy Stanley is, are you grooming your successor? And if you're not, you're probably, that's probably your pride uh, at getting in the way. And so here's the funny thing for me. So I have all these things. Well, I've also been the only one on campus teaching during the quarantine. Because I do sack prep and that's the only thing allowed. I have been teaching almost full time. I taught four classes a week for adults doing all these different things. And I brought on this lady. She all of her ministries were canceled uh, because you can't meet on campus. And, you know, it's all like Zoom calls once a month or whatever. And so I said, listen, you would be perfect to help me run RCIA on Sundays. Well, I meant like organizing stuff in the background. <laughs> I sent an email to her two weeks ago. I didn't really mean that. I meant everything. But yeah. I sent an email to her two weeks ago, and I said, hey, Katie, uh, do you want me to teach at all? Are there any classes coming right. up? That And she goes, no, I'm good. I'm like, for the rest of the year? And she's like, yeah, no, we're done. We got it all. I have it all done. I love it when that happens. And and so I was talking to my wife, and I said, hey, I got an email. I was literally in the shower. My wife was getting something. I'm like, after I stopped singing in the shower. And I was like, hey, honey, uh, what what do you think of this? Like she and she goes, Good, you need her to do it. She's and she like launched into me. She's like, Yeah, she's really great. She's a wonderful person. You know what's gonna get done right. And I was like, Yeah, but I love that class. She's like, You need to let it go. I was like, <laughs> I can't, I can't. But it was true. It was true. I have been holding on to that exclusively for far too long. Yeah. And you'll see what what'll happen is you'll uh, you know, you get to know your your catechists, things like that. I remember uh, uh, several people. You know, you'll you'll see which ones get there first, and then that that person can be the person who opens up the doors and gets things. You know, like there's gonna be things that you can pass off. I remember, you know, one of the ladies. She she was like a big sales leader for Hewlett Packard and was in the military. It was like boom. I, I can <laughs> I can literally give her any size project and just not worry about it at all. And she can run with this, you know. Hey, and you know, you should put her in charge of the ushers. <laughs> All right, you maggots, line up! <laughs> oh, I love so it. many I books love we it. get passed out. So many books. 
<laughs> but the other thing about this is what I learned in being a youth minister and having core members. Um, and this lesson I took to heart probably more than anything else. You know, they hired me out of college because I was the young guy. I knew my faith and I could deliver a talk really well. But what I realized, so they wanted me to be the hub, but an inverted pyramid is not ministry. It's not everyone coming to me, right? And so one of the things that I realized was how desperately I needed my core team, but they saw themselves as like, listen, we're just a parent volunteers to make sure it happens. Right. You're the one up on stage. You're the one related to kids. And I'm like, no, no, no. I can only, half the kids probably hate me yeah. or were annoyed with me or can't say, you know, Dave, half the people on the show hate me. Um, but Dave, Dave, uh, like my personality is not yours. It's right. not, you know, all these core members. And one of the things I realized is I was making it the Gomer show, but in switching to reprioritizing core members and their relationships, that's really where I realized you need a diversity of voices because you have a diversity of personalities and temperaments and, and wounds that people carry with them and sins that people are dealing with that having these groups of people together enable ministry to actually happen. It's one of the reasons why we need community in ministry. Right, it's not just to hold ourselves accountable, but also different people will receive us in, in different ways. And if someone has a bad, you know, first impression of me, and then I'm all they get, then they're going to discard it easier than if they have twelve other people in their lives speaking Christ into them. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, so it's so important to cultivate volunteers in this area. Yeah, and and Jennifer, if you're worried about losing control, I, I totally understand. Decide what your core principles are, right? And yeah. when you have your war room meeting, I'm expecting you now to run this exactly the way I ran it at my last parish. You're going to have a war room. <laughs> you are have, now, Dave. You're going to have a war Right. And uh, uh, at the beginning of your meeting, you go over your core principles. Look, this is what we, you know, we do a few things well. Number one, we focus on uh, catechism and scripture over other texts. We do, you know, different, different principles that you're really... Yeah that are really important to you that, so that you don't feel like you're losing control. But I, I, I really feel for you because um, it is, it's, it's hard at the beginning and it's hard sometimes at the end, but take at least, at least do this one thing, take the weight of worry off of yourself. Right. I mean, your, your job is just to be faithful. You know, you're doing your job and your job is to be faithful. It's not to be successful in each of these positions. And hopefully a boss is going to see that, Look, she's, you know, hopefully you're going to work yourself into one full-time position. You know, I, I think that's the hope there. Yeah. All right. We're going to hear a quick message from our fine folks over at Ascension Press. Uh, please email us. Questions like Jennifer's here can be your question too, answered live on the show. And by live, I mean pre-recorded. Uh, <laughs> send us an email at EKSB at ascensionpress.com. We both get the emails. It goes to uh, us and our producer. Um, so we can read through that together and put it up on a future episode of the show. That's EKSB at ascensionpress.com. All right. Every one of us is made in the image of God. We are unique, worthy of love, and called to greatness. In this world, though, we can be distracted from that truth and begin to doubt God's love is real. You see, we live in a world that tells us we are not smart, attractive, thin, or rich enough. It is easy to focus on the ways we fall short of worldly perfection and forget that we are already made perfect. We are already enough. 
I'm Danielle Bean, author of You Are Enough, what women of the Bible teach you about your mission and worth. You Are Enough dives into the stories of women in the Bible so that you can fully see God's plan for your life. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We decided, Dave decided for us that we're going to end with a little Christmas, little Christmas reflection, little 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 reflection. So uh, this is one that I've been working on, Dave. You can feel free to jump in and interrupt me, good sir. But the idea that I have been hammering home in RCIA and adult confirmation is I love salvation history. I love the story of salvation history. It's why I love the Jesse tree that we're doing because it walks you through salvation history. But one of the big things that I never understood until I sat down at the feet of Dr. Scott on, which literally was really weird. It was really uncomfortable. But uh, I said, just kidding. We were in class. And he said, what is Israel? Israel is the name of Jacob after God changed it. Israel is the name of the nation of 12 tribes. Israel is the name of the kingdom unified under David and Solomon. Israel then is the name of the divided kingdom in the north. And he, he said this in, in such a way because he said, when you read Romans and St. Paul, often Paul will use Israel as this notion of the reunified messianic people of God, right? Like the new restored Davidic kingdom. And he said, and if you think about it, the northern tribes were the ones that were lost, right? The 10 northern tribes were decimated in the 700s by the Assyrian Empire, um, the tribe of Judah, where we get the word Jew, was decimated by the Babylonians in the 500s and taken off to captivity and all that stuff. He said, but the Jews returned, the 10 northern tribes never did. So what is the importance? Well, Ezekiel has this brilliant prophecy, this vision, where God tells him to take two sticks and join them together. And the two sticks represent the divided kingdoms of northern and southern uh, Israel. And he said, you put them together, that's what I'm going to do. And that's Jesus as, or the Messiah as the gatherer. And when you start reading the Gospels, you realize all of his followers, except for Judas, are from the north, Galilee of the Gentiles. And all of this stuff is Jesus, right? The Jews that are scattered throughout Galilee of the Gentiles, Jesus is gathering them together at Capernaum, his headquarters, which we read in the readings, right? Uh, you who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. That is the beginning of the messianic mission to regather the 10 tribes of Israel. And it's so powerful because he was born, uh, he was raised in the north, but he was born in Jerusalem because he's the son of David. Right, so it's it's this notion of the Davidic Messiah, this Savior, gathering together all of God's people. But the ten tribes are scattered to the nations. So what happens? Well, this is where you get Saint Paul's theology. When we bring home the ten northern tribes, we bring the Gentiles with them, and the the two sticks becoming one is not just North and South Israel. It becomes the all of humanity, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? The people separated, the people who have the law and people who don't have the law. Now they get to come together in Christ Jesus. The dividing wall of hostility has now been destroyed. And you think about that, and it all goes to this babe in a manger in a cave in Nazareth. To me, the 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 sweep of salvation history is my favorite way to enjoy this season. Amen. I got nothing to add to that. Amazing. <laughs> oh okay well dang all right 
But we love having you guys as listeners. We're so thankful and honored that you tune in each week, and we hope and pray that you have a wonderful Christmas, and we will be with you next week. We will. We will indeed. God bless you all. God bless.